I'm here with Titus Lunter, a very prolific magic artist. Thank you, Titus, for joining us. Uh, you're very welcome. Good to be here. Glad to be here. <laughs> Titus, could you give us a just quick brief introduction to who you are and what you do as an artist? So I am a concept artist and illustrator for the um, entertainment industry. So video games, tabletop games, that kind of stuff. And I've been doing that since about 2009. And as a concept artist, my main responsibilities are uh, building worlds before they kind of go to, you know, the, the rest of the team for the final product. So there'll be uh, basically I'm the problem solver and translator from text ideas into the visual ideas for people to build them. Um, and as an illustrator, I um, I make cool paintings for all kinds of products like uh, Magic Gathering and, uh, and D&D. I guess that's why we're here. Well, Magic is why we're here, right? <laughs> I mean, yes. Um, speaking of Magic, uh, you've been doing it for a few years now. You've been working as one of their artists. Uh, what was it like when you initially came on board and how different is working with the with the magic design crew than it is with for any of your other projects uh so i came on i came on in um late 2013 is when um got my first commissions for for cons and i'd been applying at that point since early 2011 so i, I was applying for for a good while so when i finally got the email it was was a uh, um yeah, it's kind of a surreal moment. It's hard to hard to describe because you've been working to something for for quite a few years, um, and I've been playing at that point for for a couple of years. So it was kind of double, like a double whammy, right? Um, and the email was like, "Hey, have you ever heard of this game called Magic the Gathering?" Um, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I have. You know, try to try to play cool, but I I don't know if they saw my portfolio <laughs> submissions or not. But it, it it didn't really matter at that point. I was like over the moon. Um, but it was a weird space for me to be in because I just moved abroad again and I was working for a video game studio and, and they, they wanted me to work really realistically, which at the time fit really well with what I was doing with uh, concept art. Because at the time I was working on a game called uh, Forza Horizon 2, I believe it was, it was a racing game. Um, and my responsibilities were to make, you know, realistic versions of Italy and um, that kind of stuff. Uh, so to, to then jump into this fantasy realm of, of, you know, magic, the gathering was, was quite the juxtaposition, even though the, the work they wanted for me was all real world stuff. So um, I, I had the, the benefit of, you know, then getting the best of both worlds, um, but also introduce getting introduced into the world of illustration a, a bit more. Like I, I got eased into it a bit more through my comfort zone. Right. Right. Um. When um, you were doing, yeah, okay. sorry, I, I don't think I actually answered the question properly. <laughs> uh, as 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 to how it was different from the from the other projects, it 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 was night and day, right? Because concept art and illustration are nothing nothing alike. The, the one is problem solving, and the other is storytelling. Uh, so I think my work differed a lot because I was still trying to problem solve and not really do any form of storytelling. That that was sort of something that got layered in afterwards. So when people say like, "Oh, your images are," you know, cool. They, they captivate, they really tell the story. I'm almost a bit surprised because that was definitely not my, um, my main concern, even though it very well should have been. So that, that was something I needed to learn real fast. I mean, clearly you, uh, clearly you still managed to get there in the end. Um, you 
for example, in your first couple of sets, you only painted a couple of cards, but when Battle for Zendikar came along, you ended up doing seven different cards for it, including an entire cycle of lands. Um, when your contracting with Wizards started kind of ramping up, were your other projects interfering at first, or did it just take some time to really build a momentum and get those commissions? Yeah, it was a it was a really weird place because I had I had two goals on the illustration side. I really wanted to work for Mantic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons because that that's stuff that I grew up with as a kid and really loved. And on the other side, I really wanted to be a, a concept artist for AAA games, you know, the really really big ones. And as my work for um, for concept ramped up, I, I landed a gig working for Ubisoft on uh, the original division game which was huge at the time for me i also realized that uh a concepting was not for me it's a real cutthroat business with very little appreciation for everybody who's on the floor right it's it's producers taking all the credit and you know how you know the story goes it's the same for every kind of department right where the people on the ground they do the hard work and they they, they don't get the credit so basically i thought you know F this, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm out. I, I don't want to do this. So I, so I asked, I straight up asked wizards because as a Dutch person, we're considered to be very forward, right? Though for us, it's considered normal. That's one of those hilarious cultural things. So I straight up asked wizards like, Hey, can you get me more work? Because if so, I'm going to quit my job because I, I really hate this. Um, and they were more than happy to oblige. So in, in 2016 ish, a little before that, I decided to, uh, go full-time freelance illustration and not so much concept art that was just on the side. So that was a big, big switch. And, and as a result uh, for a while, I got a really big boom of, uh, of cards to do, which was really cool from them to, uh, to accommodate me. While you've been working with wizards, uh, have you ever seen any cards that you wish that you had gotten the opportunity to do after you see it? Uh, Just, just some beautiful project that you absolutely love that artist take on when you see what the card does, you say, ah, oh, I really wish I could have done a representation of this. And are you ever able to put any oh, kind of specific yeah. request like that in? It happened tons of times, tons. I mean, I'm, I, I played the game long before I illustrated for it. So I was always hooked on certain type of cards, mostly artifacts. Um, and th- there have been many instances with cool cards. You know, I got, caught wind that for instance with the uh, the, the kaladesh inventions crucible of worlds was being remade by chris ron um and i and i really love that you know that card um so there have been a bunch of instances where i was like oh this would have been so cool to do not just reprints but mm. just any kind of new card that came out obviously as an artifact fan i would would die to do a mox and any kind of new mox uh, but then that's not really my my strength, is it? Um, you know, because I do mostly landscapes and stuff. So it's one of those things where, for, for artists, there's a big difference in the the art you enjoy looking at and the art you enjoy doing. They're mm-hmm. more often than not not the same. Um, but yeah, the, w- one of the instances was that I saw Ensnaring Bridge, which is one of my favorite cards. I, I guess I'm a bit of a like a hate denial player. Um, <laughs> and I saw it and I thought that was so cool. And I was talking to one of my art directors at the time and it was like, you know, I, I really like ensnaring bridge, but 
only the older ones have kind of captured the vibe. You know, the old Stronghold one captured the vibe of the Ensnaring Bridge. And I understand what you were doing with the other ones, but that never kind of like captured what, what I had envisioned, you know, the Volrath Stronghold to be where, where that bridge is. Um, and the art director was like, funny you should say that. And the next day he <laughs> gives me the brief of the Ensnaring Bridge for the Masters 25, I think it was. Um, and the only tagline was... You got, <laughs> put your money where your mouth is, you know, and snaring bridge remake. And I was like, Oh man. Yeah. No, that's a pickle because now, now I have to, now I have to do it. I gotten big commissions before with burgeoning and wrath of God, which, which kind of stop you in your tracks. Right. And you go, okay, mm-hmm. I need to really disconnect the, the meaning of the card from the illustration. Otherwise you just get bogged down in, in, you know, the emotional side of it, which, which doesn't always make for good illustration. You can really beat yourself up over nothing. Um, and with the ensnaring bridge, it was even more so because I had, I had talked big in front of an art director and he basically called me out. Um, but it was, it was a very gratifying commission to do. It was very fun to do. I got to dive into the old Volrath stronghold. So, uh, that, that was one of the rare cases where, it was a card that I really, really wanted to do, and I had the chance to do it. Which, because normally you you can say whatever you want to the art directors, what you want to do, but they will pick the best person for the job. So it's always up to us to, you know, find our own artistic voice, uh, keep growing in that regard, um, and just yeah, you kind of roll with whatever you get, you know, because we can't dictate at all what we get. That's that's also not up to us. That wouldn't be very polite, I think. Uh, right. But, um, we certainly have a wish list, most of us. Like what what we deep down would love to do. Well, that makes sense. Um, turning now to your more recent cards, uh, Urza Saga. Let's just talk about it. Um, yeah. You, it's it's been making <laughs> waves ever since it was revealed for any number of reasons. Absolutely not the least of which is mm. your artwork on that card. Um, it's very clearly different than anything else you've done for magic so far. Mm. Um, can you, can you talk a little about your approach when you were coming up with this card design? I think, yeah. So first off, I, I got this design from, uh, or this brief from an art director that I know really well. And I got to know Cynthia who gave me this, this assignment through the concept pushes I used to do on site at Watsi. And one of the things that makes me both a good and a bad concept designer is because I am super interested in all the nitty gritty of how stuff is supposed to work. Um, well, th- there's basically two schools of thought with, with concept art. One is the rule of cool. Basically, you do whatever looks cool, and you don't really mind too much about the functionality. And the other is a more left-brain approach where you really care about the functionality, and you let that inform your designs. Now, when you're working on magical worlds, getting bogged down in functionality can really hamstring you, right? Because it can really eliminate a whole mm-hmm. bunch of possibilities. But when you work on really technical briefs like like this one, uh, it can help out a lot because this is supposed to be a palimpsest, which I had to Google. I had no idea what a palimpsest was. It just like a bivouac, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea what a bivouac was. <laughs> um, so, but a palimpsest is basically when you recycle the same same page, your same paper multiple times, and you kind of just erase over it or you, you peel a top layer off. So you get a, a bit of a fresher page. And, and this happened three times. 
So in order for that illustration to work, you had to get into the mindset of three different people and three different stages of magic history. Uh, so it meant looking up each different timeline, what it meant, what it represented, and then kind of getting into character because this was not made by artists. Um, Kaya wasn't an artist. Urza was an artist. Baron was definitely not like an, an artist. Mm -hmm. So how how would they how would they react right would they have a flair for the ornamental well kaya would because it's a love poem that she's writing uh, urza would be more kind of like manic and scribbly and trying to find out you know these equations to fight off the frictions and creating these these horrific weapons in the meantime and baron he's kind of you know creating an account and almost a false narrative about urza where he omits the parts that are wildly dangerous that, that show the very much destructive side of Urza. And he tries to highlight Urza as this benevolent inventor, right? Who, who, who saved them all from, from certain doom, even though he himself was close to, to creating that doom. So you have all these layers and you can't just approach that from a point of view of, you know, a, a tree looks like a tree. You've got to figure out which kind of tree it is. This is, this is a radically different kind of, um, way of approaching illustration. So I think I was the perfect person, at least from my point of view, not, not to come off arrogant to, to do that because I was terrible. I am terrible at drawing characters and it featured a Urza really prominently. So you, you had a double whammy, right? It was almost as if a non-artist was drawing that character. So that was, that was a bit of a freebie. Um, and I love figuring out uh, puzzles like, like that. So they really, they really played into uh, my strengths and weaknesses simultaneously, which I thought was was kind of a kind of a cool thing uh, for for them to do. Normally, when I get assigned characters, um, I'm not too happy because it takes me a lot longer to get them to look passable. And here was um, not a problem if it looked like shit because it, it's not supposed to look like a you know this beautiful character artist had drawn it. So yeah, um, that was that's kind of like the 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 origin of, of where Urza Saga came from. When you were going through that process, was it refreshing for you to try something this different from your normal artwork or was it kind of a struggle for you to have to fight past your normal flow? I think it was a, it was a mixture. One thing that I really, really enjoyed was when it came in and it said it was a palimpsest. I was like, I have to do this traditionally. And I, I'd been wanting to do more traditional magic pieces for a long time because not because of the, the, the market for them being really, really good, which is obviously, you know, an incentive to do that. But because when you work traditionally, you have a much different connection with your, with your artwork. It's much closer uh, kind of connection, which um, can be very important. If you work as a production artist, sometimes the work that you do can feel very repetitive and you can, you know, there's certain pitfalls there where you use the same gimmicks over and over again. So you, you try to diversify as much as possible, but with the assignments that I usually get looking at um, like silver quill campus, for example, that's an incredibly complicated illustration. And I could never paint that in, in oils that would just take forever um, to do, you know, with the drying times and, you know, the subtle color layerings would be a nightmare. But with something like Urza Saga, I immediately knew that it had to be done traditional to get that traditional feel because it is, you know, scrubbed paper. So I, I immediately went to do that. And I experimented with uh, tea staining and coffee staining to get the aged look with 
um, different grains of paper, with sanding the paper, you know, which type of inks can I reliably use, which can I destroy, you know, what looks like faded ink or can I make real ink look faded? And it was just this, it, it added this whole new dimension to, to, illustrating and painting that that I was really looking for but hadn't had the excuse to actually do because our our turnover times are really short and normally we work on two or three commissions at the same time so um you know you don't you don't necessarily have a lot of time to to oil paint everything at least not with the, with the type of work I do so being able to shoehorn it in um this way while almost being forced to do that was was a really nice really nice break it was a good excuse for me to do that Speaking of doing things outside of your normal uh, frame of work, there seems to be this type of perception or stigma out there that artists can only do one style or one medium of artwork. But using Urza Saga again, we can see that's just not necessarily the case. Um, why do you think that perception is out there? Where do you, where do you think that's come from? I think as an, as an artist, it's so competitive these days to try and get work. Uh, the thing that you're best at, at, at any given time when you get your first assignment is the box that they put you in. Because uh, the way that it works for, for most clients is that they want the best bang for their buck and they have certain targets that they need to hit. And they're always, you know, heroic character, establishing shot for a landscape, architectural design for something. So they go to whatever person they think does that best. And as a result, you only get hired to do the same thing. So you inadvertently get pigeonholed by the first success that you that you have. Um, for me, that happened to be realistic landscapes. I mean, I enjoy doing them, uh, but in, in many ways, they're not really challenging. And I think if, if you're not challenged as an illustrator, long enough, you, you kind of get really frustrated with it. So you do explore other avenues in your own work if you have time for that. And it takes all kinds of people. I know professional illustrators, production illustrators who really just want to do the own, that one thing because it means that they can kind of zone out during work and it's just easier to maintain that nine to five. And I know others who say, you know, I want to go, you know, super method and like method acting, you know, get really lost in each painting and they could lose days on end just getting absorbed and learning all these new tricks and things, you know. Um, so it, it's it's this mix, right? I, I think a lot of artists want to do different things, but it's really hard once you get established in doing one thing for <laughs> to find clients that allow you to do another thing. And on top of that, a lot of clients don't really know much about art. They commission it, but they don't necessarily know much about it. So if they see you do two vastly different things in your portfolio, they'll either think, you know, that you're cheating or that you don't have a focus or it's really wild, all the hmm. stuff that they kind of, you know, fill in. Um, and the opposite is true as well. I've had clients who ask me to do realistic portraiture and, you know, I've, I've just had to ask them, have you looked at my portfolio? Because that that's not something I do. And it's also not something I, I can do. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's this really hard line, uh, hard line to, to walk because you, you never quite know who, who you run into or, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's a difficult question. Right. Um, 
we talked about the, you not just doing work for Magic, but for uh, D&D stuff recently. Uh, on Twitter, you've been posting a lot of those, like your Legend of Drizzt artwork. Um, and right alongside your Outside of Magic projects, you've been posting things about your struggles with imposter syndrome. Uh, how do you fight back against mm-hmm. your own brain when it comes to struggles like that? Yes, the trick isn't. I think, you know, some answers might not be super kid friendly. I guess. <laughs> I mean, uh, we all we all have our vices, right? For for me as a Dutch person, it might not be too difficult to guess um, which green alternative I would use. But it's it's really it's really hard. You know, I think. Knowing yourself as an illustrator, we have the usually the the misfortune of being stuck in a room with ourselves for, for a lot of time. And especially if you're painting traditionally, there's not there's nothing to do, right? You you put the marks down, but as soon as the as soon as the sketch is done, basically the painting is done. All, all that that is left is making it, and that takes a couple of days. So you're just kind of stuck in a room with yourself in your own head. So it becomes really really important to get to know yourself and to kind of feel out when you feel your mental health slipping and, and, you know, and my therapist explained it to me that you can't really control the emotions as they pop up. The only thing that you can control is how you react to them and you can stop a negative cycle by, by not feeding the emotion what it wants, uh, which I think is kind of where imposter syndrome syndrome slots in. And I've, I found stupidly enough or frustratingly enough is that the more successes I book, the worse imposter syndrome gets so i've been working on on dnd stuff for a few years now and i had someone you know send me an email about a, a dnd related uh, gig and going like you know we want your architecture expertise because we think that you're one of the people who knows the most about this stuff and i thought you know that's that's ridiculous that surely that can't be the case but having worked in it for five or six years now on mostly architecture stuff, you immediately get split right between I think I am, you know, well-versed in this, but surely I can't be the only person because I'm just me, you know, and, and who am I? So yeah, that imposter syndrome is, is really closer to the foreground than, than, than many people realize. It's not something that kind of uh, takes you by surprise. It's, it's more like this static, you know, in the background. Uh, so learning how to, how to deal with that and this unique for everyone is, is really, really important. And I sincerely hope that most people who are listening to this, who are successful at their jobs or whatever, uh, would never experience that because it's just a giant pain in the ass um, <laughs> because whatever method you try one day might not work the next day. So you have to get creative in, in managing yourself. Um, and I'm really glad that a lot more people are speaking up about it, you know, about anxiety and imposter syndrome and, and all that kind of stuff to figure out how, how does it work and who does it happen to and why does it happen? Kind of normalizing it makes it easier to tell that emotion just to, to, you know, to F off again, because, um, it's all, it's all manufactured anyway. Uh, and I've heard people ask, well, doesn't it make you a better artist? And I think that you could push yourself to be a better artist without really negative and invasive emotions like that. And and I think if you let that be the sole thing that makes you a better artist, you, 
you're kind of doing it out of anger or spite. And I'm not sure if that's really, you know, sustainable. Maybe it's because I'm older now. I think I used to be like super angry and driven. <laughs> I want to be the best. And now it's just like, I, I want to not be bothered by my own brain and just paint nice things. And that's it. Mm. You know, that would be nice. Um, so yeah, it's, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, our final question for the, for the day, your Patreon is a little bit more hands-on, let's say, than the average Patreon is um, for any yeah. sort of artist that I've seen so far. Um, can you go into, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do there? Uh, well, the short version is, is, is I, uh, I teach. Um, so it's, it's basically when I was in school, I, in, in art school, I uh, trained to be a teacher and actually taught at my old high school for, for a while. And uh, I sympathize with my teachers now because 14 <laughs> to 17 year olds are, are usually really shitty to deal with. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> they all think they're so cool and, and they're really not. They just don't listen and they're really frustrating. Um, but I do love I, I, I do love teaching because it, it the interaction with people is cool. Helping people is, is doubly cool. Um, and it also forces you to know what you're talking about, which is a great way of fighting imposter syndrome, right? When you have something more tangible that you can go like, I know how this works uh, because I've spent a lot of time on it. So, I, you know, I kind of figured it out now. So what I what I do there is I, I teach my my brand of. Um, of art, which is, well, it's not exclusively mine, but there's obviously multiple schools of thought on, on how images should be uh, constructed, etc. So I just, I offer um, my input on it and people can sign up and there's a monthly call that I do with people. So it's, it's really, really hands-on in, in trying to guide people through the various stages of learning illustration, both on the technical side and also on the, on the mental side and how you should approach that. Uh, which which I think is cool. Uh, definitely, when I started teaching stuff, I noticed that my magic work <laughs> improved a lot too. Which and there have been there have been periods of time where I produced really really terrible magic pieces, and it's always it's always really funny because you know people like what they like. I'm not going to tell them what they sh- sure shouldn't like. You know, of course not. Um, but with magic, it's such a weird mix of if if I produce a painting, which I'm really not happy with, but it's on a good card, people love it. And <laughs> if I produce a painting that I'm really happy with, but it's just like on a basic land, people go, like, oh yeah, it's basic. Um, so, so they seem to be almost inversely uh, re- related to each other, which is most of the time when we make a magic artwork, that's kind of like the running gag between, between artists, right? When you make a piece of art that you're really, really happy with for, for magic, you're like, Oh, please let this be a good card. So people actually look at it and not just toss it in, in the common bin or, or whatnot. Um, so many hours, you know, that go into that, uh, which coincidentally is something that I talk about on the Patreon as well, where you have to kill your darlings. You, you can't get too attached to every piece. There's this um, hilarious uh, YouTuber that I watch, which is a, a city planner who who plays city building games, um, and he keeps repeating this phrase, which is so important for for many other professions like illustration, which is "Don't let perfect be the enemy of good." And yeah, that has just resounded with me. So, despite the love of the game, and you want every illustration to be fantastic. Uh, sometimes you do have to concede that it's maybe not 
a great card or maybe the brief itself just doesn't lend itself for something amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. and you just kind of have to roll with it. And I have to tell my students that who are like, every painting I make needs to be the most amazing one. And I tell <laughs> them, if you make two good illustrations a year, you are already on track to making more quote unquote masterpieces um, than most of the old school famous traditional artists who maybe have a catalog of 20 or 30 pieces. By the time that you're done with your career, you'll have hundreds. So yeah, don't don't get bummed out too far if you you know if a year of no good art pieces that that's totally cool and acceptable. So you know, don't let don't let that get you down too much. Okay, um, we are going to go ahead and wrap up. Uh, where can you be found on the internet? Uh, I can be found almost anywhere if you just Google my name, Titus Linter. That's on Twitter and on Instagram um, and my website. And, uh, that's about it. Oh, yeah, my Patreon, uh, a bit of perspective, because who doesn't love a good word joke, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you again so much for joining us.